0: Good morning, it's great to be able to join with you as we continue our series in John's Gospel. Today we're in the final verses of chapter 18, uh, verses 28 to 40. In the verses just before this passage, Jesus has been betrayed by Judas, arrested and questioned by the high priest Annas and Caiaphas. He's abandoned by his followers, most notably by Peter. Peter. This all happens in the space of a single night, and when the cock crows in verse 27, it's thought that the time is around 3am on the day of preparation for Passover. The events of this night and the day that will follow are frantic and seemingly chaotic. Accusers, false witnesses, questioners, religious and legal authorities enter the scene and disappear again with alarming speed and increasing confusion. But at the centre of it all, at the eye of this storm, is the calm, still figure of Jesus. With all the commotion going on around him, it would be easy to become distracted. But he is central. In the midst of this chaos, he is in control. It's to him that we must look and it is to him that we must respond. As we pay careful attention to Jesus and see his interactions with Pilate and with the Jewish leaders, it becomes clear who is really in charge and who is really on trial. The Jewish mob and the lies they espouse are on trial. Pilate and his indifference to the truth is on trial. And we, as we read, sit on the jury. We assess the evidence. We are drawn into this narrative to pass judgment on the Jews, on Pilate and most importantly on Jesus. And as we judge, so we are judged. We too are on trial. We live in a world today where the phrase truth decay is making headline news and whatever your political persuasion it's obvious that across all divides facts are disputed, distorted and obscured to serve people's self-interests. The truth can be hard to find. In our current climate the very concept of truth is being eroded and yet as it is many commentators are raising the alarm noting the reality of objective truth, is vital to a functioning democracy, a peaceful society, and the general good of mankind. We need to know that truth exists, and we need to know what the truth is. We need to act in accordance with the truth. You know, we need to know the truth about the virus, the truth about corruption, the truth about politicians, the truth about what is safe and what is harmful to our health. We need to know the truth of these things. So that we can act in accordance with truth. And this searching after truth in a world of truth, it seems so very modern, but in fact it's ancient. We see it very clearly in this 2,000 year old story that plays out for us in these verses in John's Gospel. But the truth that is under scrutiny in this passage is far more important than the facts of a global pandemic, far more significant than the result of any election. These things, although they appear to be of the utmost importance just now, they pale in significance when compared to the truth that is on trial in these verses. The question of who Jesus is, is the truth on trial here? We must judge based on the evidence before us. We must reach a verdict. The title for our message this morning is this, just Truth on Trial. As we examine this scene, let's consider together the main characters in this trial. Not as a a passive observer, but as a member of the jury in order to reach a decision. Firstly, we'll consider the Jews who oppose the truth. Second, Pilate who is indifferent to the truth. And then Jesus who claims to be a witness to the truth. Firstly then, let's, let's focus on the Jews The Jewish leaders, very early on Friday morning, it would probably have been before sunrise, rush Jesus to Pilate's palace. It's the day of preparation for Passover, a hugely important day, a day with great religious significance for the Jews, and they have much that needs to be done. And they're up against the clock, so they're in a hurry to remove Jesus, this obstacle to their religious observance, as quickly as they possibly can. They see Jesus as a problem to them being able to keep their festival day in accordance with their tradition. And not only is he a threat to this Passover, he is a threat to all Passover days, all religious festivals, all traditions that they hold so dear. So they want rid of him. So intent are they on keeping to the tradition of Passover that they have entirely missed its point. A ceremony that should be about God's sovereign rescue of them from slavery has become a day marked by self-righteous religious rule keeping. So they stay outside Pilate's palace in order to avoid contact with the Gentile and so become ceremonially unclean. They don't want to disqualify themselves from participation in the upcoming feast. They are so obsessed with their external appearance, their ritual purity, and they completely ignore the rotten decay of their own hearts. The hypocrisy is astounding. At the same time as thinking they are clean and trying to maintain their purity, they are plotting the downfall of an innocent man, conspiring to have him brutally tortured and murdered. They are proving themselves to be every inch the whitewashed tombs that Jesus accused them of being in Matthew twenty-three twenty-seven, Beautiful and clean on the outside, but full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean inside. Blind to this truth, blinded by their tradition, the Jews take Jesus to Pilate to pressure him to carry out the sentence that they have already decided that Jesus should face. They come with force and with passion, but they come with absolutely no evidence of wrongdoing and no clear charges. When asked by Pilate why they have brought Jesus to him, they retort, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. This response of some generic evil that Jesus has apparently done shows just how flimsy their case is. Yet the force of vitriol behind it is so strong that the case proceeds regardless. The Jews wanted Jesus dead, so they took him to Pilate in order to have him killed. We see this in verse 31. They could not undertake this execution themselves. The Roman state had removed this function from them. Having said that, it didn't prevent them from stoning Stephen in Acts 7, for example, So perhaps there was another law on their mind also that prevented them from killing Jesus. Is it possible that again it was the law of ceremonial cleanliness? They knew they could not come into contact with a dead body and still eat Passover. It seems there is a cold clinical precision in the Jews' conduct. They are calculating their every move to dispatch this innocent man as swiftly as possible without having to do the dirty work themselves. But there is a deeper reason, unknown even to the Jews, that they have taken Jesus to Pilate. They are inadvertently fulfilling God's plan. This is God's sovereign plan in action. Verse 32, more than any in this section, shows us that Jesus is in control of where he is and what is happening. We are told the Jews bring Jesus to Pilate in order to fulfill Jesus' own words. The words that we read in John three fourteen, when he tells us he must be lifted up to die. The Jews, if they were able, would have stoned Jesus. Only the Romans lifted people up to crucify them. The Jews are utterly blind to this truth here. And yet God is able to use them, even in their blindness and opposition to him, to bring about his own purposes. If we're to sum up the Jews in this section, we would say that they are both blind to the truth and opposed to the truth. Let's now turn our focus to Pilate. He is the Roman governor of Judea. He's a weak man, a crowd pleaser. He is someone who is curious about the truth, but not convicted by the truth. And we will see he is ultimately indifferent to the truth. When the Jews bring Jesus to him, he responds as any judge should by trying to establish the facts of the case. But very quickly, he is shown to be weak. He plays by their rules by going outside to meet them because they have refused to go inside. The power is clearly in their hands in this exchange. The baseless charges brought to him by the Jews should have been enough for him to throw the case out there and then. But he hesitates, he entertains the crowd. They intimidate him and he is too weak to stand against them. So he goes inside to question Jesus in verse 33. Pilate has one question that is pertinent to this case. Is Jesus a king? And one that is pertinent to absolutely everything. What is truth? Although Pilate probably misses the significance of this second one. As Pilate questions Jesus about whether he is king in verse 33, Pilate quickly demonstrates his ineptness and his ignorance, or rather, Jesus does with his response in verse 34. He shows that Pilate really doesn't know what he's talking about. He's simply regurgitating what he has heard from the crowd, the Jewish leaders. There is a back and forward between Pilate and Jesus where Jesus clarifies the question and clarifies our understanding of who he is. But Pilate seems to be none the wiser. Pilate doesn't really understand the question he is asking, and even still, he manages to come to a partially correct conclusion about Jesus in verse 37, where he declares that Jesus is a king. He hears Jesus say that he is a king who speaks truth, and then Pilate utters the second of his two notable questions in this section What is truth? This one asked with no expectation of a response. It's fascinating to observe Pilate's behaviour and his words that surround this question, though. It's a question that seems to imply that there really is no such thing as truth, no objective, solid truth. It's all relative But on either side of this unanswered question, Pilate makes two true statements about Jesus. In verse 37, as we've seen, he calls Jesus a king. And in verse 38, he declares Jesus innocent. So Pilate, he does believe in truth. He expresses it. And yet we see his tenuous grasp of these truths in his actions that follow. While he may think that Jesus is a king and while he may know that Jesus is innocent, he still proceeds To hand him over for execution. The truth does not dictate his actions. He is indifferent to the truth. Although he knows the truth. He does not follow where the truth leads. His actions betray his indifference. And in his final act in this passage, Pilate does something unthinkable, something that shows a shocking level of callous indifference. He offers up a trade, Jesus for Barabbas. He doesn't care what is true, he cares what is popular. Pilate is a crowd pleaser who is indifferent to the truth. Now then, let's turn to the central figure of this trial. In a trial marked by miscarriages of justice, hypocrisy and slander stands Jesus. He is the only one in this scene that stands for truth and has clarity of purpose. The Jews had a purpose but were blind to the truth. Pilate caught a glimpse of the truth but he was morally rudderless. Jesus is utterly different. He is the only one that truly knows truth, speaks truth and acts in truth. He describes himself as a witness to the truth in verse 37, and we see this is not only something he does, but it is integral to who he is, integral to his purpose. Jesus, as witness to the truth, cares deeply that others would see the truth, and chiefly he is concerned that we would know the truth of who he is. He wants the world to see the truth of his identity, not so that he would escape an unjust execution, but so that we might escape the punishment we fully deserve. In verse 36, Jesus identified himself as king, but a king who does not have an earthly kingdom. Jesus says that his kingdom is not of this world. And this is obvious because if he were trying to establish an earthly kingdom, his followers, he says, would have been fighting for his life. But as it is, Jesus is standing alone, calmly facing his own death. We see here that Jesus is not merely a king. He is the king. The king of truth. His is a kingdom built on truth. And he is the truth upon which his kingdom is built. And then we see that as Jesus is, so will be those who belong to his kingdom. The end of verse 37 tells us everyone who is of the truth listens to Jesus' voice. They recognise the truth of his witness. The truth of who he is. They listen to Jesus. And not in the way that Pilate did. Who really only heard and did not act. No, their listening is marked by action. They will listen and follow. They will listen and do. In this exchange between Pilate and Jesus, we see clearly Jesus identify himself as the king of truth and his people as those who will listen to his truth. Against Jesus' self-identification as this king of truth, the question of Pilate comes and it hangs in the air as Pilate walks away without waiting for an answer. Pilate asks the great philosophical question, What is truth? We could read this in the postmodernist kind of way. Is there any such thing as truth? And we can find an answer to this question here, but there is a much deeper question and answer. If we ask the question, What is truth? in the context of John's Gospel, we find an interesting thing. We see the word truth and true almost 50 times in John's Gospel, compared with only five in the other three Gospels combined. We also see Jesus' frequent use of the phrase, truly, truly, I say unto you. Surely this is significant. And as we examine John's account, we see that Pilate's rhetorical question is not answered with a philosophy, but with a person. Truth is not a thing, but a person, and that person is Jesus. In John 1.14, Jesus is described as being full of grace and truth. John 1.17, we're told that grace and truth have come to us through Jesus. In this passage, Jesus says that he is a witness to the truth. But earlier in John 5.33, we read that John the Baptist, speaking about Jesus, is said to be bearing witness to the truth that is Jesus. In John 8.32, we see Jesus say, "'If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples.'" And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus is the truth who sets people free. And finally, we see the most famous of Jesus's truth statements where he clearly identifies that he is the personification of truth that he has been bearing witness to. John fourteen six, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. It's clear that Jesus is the answer to the question that Pilate asks. But sadly, he never sticks around long enough to grasp this truth. We also see the truth claims that Jesus makes is a divisive claim. The truth that Jesus claims is an exclusive truth. He is the way, the truth, not simply a truth. And the truth that Jesus presents us demands a response. The Jews opposed the truth of Jesus Pilate was indifferent. How will you respond? Let us close by bringing some of the points of application in this passage into focus now. As we have looked at truth on trial in this passage, it is clear it is much more than an interesting historical event. It is current. It is a trial that plays out in all of our hearts and lives today. What will we do with the truth claims of Jesus the questions that this passage forces us to ask ourselves are these. Am I opposed to truth? Do I know the truth? Does my knowledge of the truth affect my actions? It's sadly possible to look Christian, to have a religious facade and yet be blind to the truth. And nothing blinds us to the truth of Jesus quite effectively as ritual religion. The Jews in this passage are a classic example of this. You may have been going to church or... All your life. But have you ever really seen the truth of Jesus? Have you heard his voice? If not, pray to him today to open your eyes so that you might see the beauty of his truth. It's also possible to know the truth, to be intellectually convinced of the truth and yet remain indifferent. This can happen in degrees from the traditional churchgoer who has heard the stories of Jesus a million times and yet their heart is not moved. Their affections for Jesus are cold and their lives are unchanged. They are indifferent. This is also a danger for genuine followers of Jesus. I know the danger in my own life of knowing the truth of who Jesus is, knowing his love for me and his desire to do me good. And yet so often I live in direct disobedience to what he tells me to do. Even knowing and loving Jesus, I can live in ways that show I am indifferent. And this is something that I need to repent of every day as I hear the voice of Jesus calling me back to his truth. Perhaps you're listening to this today and you're not a Christian. Perhaps you would call yourself an atheist or agnostic at a push. Can I challenge you to ask yourself why? Is it because you are opposed on principle to the truth claims of Jesus Or is it maybe because you are indifferent to them? I would urge you to look at Jesus. Look at the life he lived. Look at the claims he made. Look at the evidence for the truth claims that he made. When you really see this truth, you cannot remain indifferent to it. You may not like it, but you cannot deny it either. If you would like to look at the claims of Jesus by reading through a gospel, please contact me. This is something that I do regularly with people and I would love to meet with you. Now finally, as we close, let's consider the last act in this passage, the exchange of Jesus and Barabbas. It is a stunning event. There was a tradition that the Jews had every Passover, a prisoner would be pardoned and set free. Pilate has both Jesus, Jesus Christ and Barabbas Who was also called Jesus in his custody? One guilty, one innocent. Barabbas was a terrorist, a murderer, a robber. Jesus was innocent of all crimes, and yet this exchange is proposed and this exchange takes place. Jesus Christ takes the place of Barabbas. The punishment that was designed for Barabbas was given to Jesus. The cross that was made for Barabbas was given to Jesus. The cross that he should have been nailed to, Jesus is nailed to instead. The innocent exchanged for the guilty. If you have recognised the truth of who Jesus is, if you have heard his voice, if you have called him your king, you will know that you are Barabbas in this story. You are the one who deserved death but have been given life. You deserved condemnation but have received a full pardon. You deserved hell but have received heaven. This is the truth of who Jesus is for us as Christians. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered, once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. I pray that you would encounter this truth today. Father God, We just thank you for the truth of this passage. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the truth of who Jesus is, that he is the one who was willing to take our place, to take the punishment that we deserved, to suffer the indignity of death on a cross so that we might be brought to you. We pray that you would open our eyes and soften our hearts this morning so that we might see this truth And that we might love you. The one who is the way, the truth and the life. Amen.